If you've had kids, um, maybe, maybe if you're a father or uh, if you're, you're a mother, uh, the news that you're going to have kids, it, it changes everything. News has a way of changing the way we uh, live and the way we think. I remember when Shannon told me she was uh, pregnant, I, I sat up in bed and uh, I was dumbfounded. I, I, I just, I was happy, but at that moment it was just, uh, everything's going to change. Uh, our, from our finances, how we use our time, um, the amount of sleep we were going to get. I knew, I knew in that moment that our lives were about to change. And, and news has this way, again, of changing how we think and how we live in this world. Um, think back to September 11th, 2001. Um, as we saw the news unfold out of New York, we knew that our world was changed forever, uh, that we could not look at the world the same way. And so Paul, in the book of Romans, what he's saying, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today if you've got your Bible, but what Paul says is that the news of Jesus Christ, it it changes absolutely everything. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so in the Old Testament, uh, animal sacrifices were made as a way of atoning for your sin. The idea was that with this Old Covenant, somebody would bring an animal sacrifice to the temple, and they'd make that sacrifice at the tabernacle or on the altar, and this would be a way of, of propitiating or putting off your sin, atoning for it. But this had to be done year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice. You were never done with these sacrifices. And so Paul makes the point in Romans chapters 1 through 11 that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, that everything has changed. Now in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so Paul's point in the book of Romans is that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not by our works. It's not by anything else. It's simply by grace through faith or faith in grace, in the grace of God. And so what he's saying is sin has been atoned for. It has no hold on you. There's no fear in death, but there's only hope. It only gets better. Your future is not hell, but your future is heaven. And so that news, Paul says, should change the way we live in this world. Our lives should become acts of worship. Um, That news changes it. Now, God demanded that the Old Testament sacrifices, that they be uh, without blemish, that the animals would not be sickly or, or lame or anything like that. He wanted pure, uh, healthy animals. And so Paul's point is, as we're living these lives of worship, our lives should be lived as holy and blameless as possible for God. And he keeps going in verse 2. He says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so what 
Paul is saying here is that Christians should not look like the rest of the world. They should look differently. And so the moment somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit begins this work which we call regeneration, which is taking something that is dead and bringing it back to life, essentially. And so when we say a Christian has new life in Jesus Christ, what we mean is that because Jesus died the death that you deserve to die for your sin, you are no longer condemned because of it. God looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ. And so there's hope. But it doesn't stop there as a Christian. It's not just being regenerated, but there's, there's more. The longer you are Christian, the way you think about this world, the way you live in this world, it should change with time. And so Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when he says this, he's, he's talking about the doctrine and the process of sanctification. It's not a word we use a lot around here, but what it means is becoming more holy. It means becoming more like Jesus with time. And his point is, a Christian should look more like Jesus tomorrow than they do today. In one year, I should look more like Jesus than I do at this point. And so as our mind is renewed or we become more like Jesus, what it means is that our theology, what we know about God, should inform our philosophy. So what he's saying is um, what we know and believe to be true about God should inform the way we look and look at this world and the way we live our lives. Now, the problem is what's happening a lot lately is instead people are allowing culture to inform their philosophy and then they take what culture informs it and allows that to inform their theology or what they believe about God. And so this is why you find, excuse me, churches or groups uh, saying that that's okay to do certain things or they're, they're practicing beliefs or different things that God deems wrong or sinful in Scripture. Now, they try to explain uh, this change by saying, well, you know what? God has changed his mind on this issue or this only applied back then. But what's really happened in this time um, is their intent is to offer something that is more palatable, something that is easier to swallow. And the goal is to make it more attractive to people. But when we do this, we're not doing anybody else, anybody a favor or ourselves a favor when we allow culture to dictate what we know and believe about this world and thus what we know and believe about God. And so in the end, we, we don't answer to culture. We don't answer to the majority We answer to God and God alone. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, God hasn't changed his mind on the issues. God hasn't changed his mind on issues like sexual identity, the sanctity of life the sanctity of marriage, how a person uh, gets into heaven. God does not change his mind. And so when a church or a leader says that God has changed his mind on an issue, he hasn't. They've allowed something else to inform their beliefs on that issue other than God. And so our desire here is to always stand unapologetically next to the word of God, regardless of what it says, because we believe that it is true. And so God doesn't change his mind to be accepted by the majority. You will not find that ever 
in Scripture. So the question is, as Paul talks about renewing our minds, how, how do we actually do this? Well, we have to watch what we put into our minds. We have to guard ourselves against who and what gets the ability to speak into our lives. And I was reminded of how important this is a little while ago. Um, my wife, Shannon, went up to Toronto uh, for a conference back in November. And so it was just my son, Seth, and I. Uh, we had a boys' weekend. And so we're doing manly things, uh, playing outside, wrestling, all those things. But uh, we also like to watch TV because it gives me a break. And, and so Seth's watching his kids' shows, um, Tupi and Binu, uh, Max and Ruby. If you're a parent, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, those shows great on my nerves. Like, I, I just have visions of making a delicious rabbit stew out of Ruby or something. <laughs> And so I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, I'm going to introduce them to something more manly, um, something better. Die hard. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I introduced them to some kids' superhero shows. Uh, we watched The Avengers, uh, Justice League, and these were kids' cartoons. And so uh, he's watching guys like Batman, Superman, Iron Man, Hulk, um, Captain America, and he fell in love with these characters. And he's running around the house, hitting things, going like, Hulk smash! And so I'm going, this is a win for dad. Um, I'm buying his love. And and so I I thought this was good. And Shannon comes back on Sunday night, and we resume normal life. And he goes to daycare on Monday and Tuesday. And she comes home Tuesday night, and she says, daycare says Seth has been playing a lot rougher these last two days. (laughs) Do you know why? And this is one of those moments where I could have been like, boys will be boys. That's odd. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, But in that moment, the Holy Spirit is saying to me, no, you've got to tell the truth. And and so I was like, it it may, possibly, there's a remote chance it has something to do with the shows we were watching over the weekend. And so um, I, I saw that what Seth takes in affects the way he thinks and behaves It's the same for us. What we watch, what we read, what we listen to, who we spend time with, it does affect us. It affects what comes out in our lives. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we expose ourselves to, it does affect the way we think and the way we behave. And so the way we renew our minds is by allowing God to do it. We fill up on the Word of God. We pray and we ask that the Holy Spirit would change the way we look at this world and the way we interact with it. And our goal and our our hope is that our beliefs, our relationship with God would inform the way we understand this world and the way we live in this world. Now what is awesome about the Word of God is that every time you open up God's Word, You're opening it up in the presence of the author. Um, What I mean is this. The same Holy Spirit who was there with Paul as he was writing the letter to the Romans, guiding him to write these words, is here with us now in us, helping us to understand Paul's words and apply it to our lives. And so we open up the word of God in the presence of the author. And so the Holy Spirit, he works through the word of God whether we're reading it, whether we're listening to it, whether we're being taught it, to inform what we know and believe about God, and that should inform the way we live in this world. Now, here's an example. You're reading through the Old Testament, and you stumble across the, the, the Ten Commandments, 
And you come to the one that says, honor your father and your mother that it might go well for you in the land that the Lord your God is going to give you. And you see this, and, and the Spirit convicts you. He goes, how have you been doing this lately? Have you talked to your parents? When you left off the last time, was it on a good note? How can you honor them? How can you show appreciation to them for all that they have done? And the Spirit works with us like this. And this is why we encourage personal study. We encourage you to be involved in a life group and hear weekly to hear from God's Word because God changes us through it. Now, the better we know God's Word, the easier it is to know God's will. It's the same as any relationship. The more time you spend with a person, the easier it is to know the way that person thinks and what that person would want. Now, we all know annoying people, don't we? Those people that just grate on your nerves. Maybe there's people who are out to get you, and they're just trying to sabotage or ruin your life. And so uh, when they come near you, you just have visions of punching them in the face, just knocking them out. And just, I'm, maybe even murder. I mean, it happens. Don't kid yourself. You've thought it. And so this is what happens. But then the word of God comes to your mind. And the words of Jesus where he says, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor. Pray for your enemy. And so in that moment, you clearly know the will of God in that moment is not that you would do harm to this person, but that you would love them, that you would treat them how you would want to be treated. And please understand, renewing our mind, it's not about um, memorizing the commandments of God, but it's about changing the way we think so that that will change the way that we live to be in line with the will of God. And there is not a specific commandment that tells you what to do in every situation of life. But God's word can inform those gray areas, as we might call them. And so living obediently, it's an act of worship. But what do we do as we live obediently? Well, Paul addresses that. Verse 3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And so what Paul is saying is that a Christian needs to evaluate their gifts, their abilities, and their worth, and to understand who they are in Christ. And I I really like Paul because in his writings, he's realistic, he's blunt. What he's saying here is, the, the motto, believe it and you can achieve it, uh, you can be whatever you want. Paul is saying that's not, that's not true. Every person has limitations. Not everyone is going to be good at everything. And you might go, but what about Philippians 4.13 where, where Paul writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens or gives me strength. What Paul means there is I can do anything God calls me to do in the strength of God. And I don't want to crush anybody's life first. I don't want all your hopes and dreams that might have been built on this verse to come crashing down. But this verse does not mean that the 45-year-old guy who lives in his parents' basements, never worked a day in his life, can barely tie his own shoes, simply has to claim this verse and believe that he can do it in Christ, and he finds himself on the road to becoming President of the United States or an astronaut. That's what we like to believe this verse means, but that's not what 
it means. Paul is saying we can do what God calls us to do in God's strength. But we need to check our attitude. We need to check our abilities with this renewed mind to make sure it's something God is calling us to do and that He's enabled us to do. Now Paul keeps going in verses 4 and 5. He says, Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so we need one another. Uh, There should not be a lone ranger Christian because that does not line up with the will of God. And here's the simple truth. Uh, Christians who isolate themselves, they just get weird. I mean, you you see those Facebook posts, like these guys who are out on their own, and they're, they're posting these weird ideas and these things where you're going, where did that come from? That's not even scriptural. And they keep going, and later on you might find they've started a cult in some commune, and they've got these people following them. I know I'm exaggerating here, but Christians who isolate themselves aren't in line with the will of God. And so Paul's point is you don't belong to yourself. You belong to the body of Christ. And there's going to be days where you need other people in the body of Christ. It's not just what the church can offer you, but it's also about what you can offer the church. It's a give-and-take relationship. Now, for 27 years, Greg has been serving and loving this congregation. I mean, I'm half his age, and I have a hard time keeping up with everything that he does. Like, he just nonstop going. I mean, he's introduced many of you personally to Christ. Um, He's loved you. He's served you. He's prayed persistently for you. But in this season, this is our opportunity to serve Greg and the family, to to love them. Because the church, it is a family. We help and we are helped by one another. Now, Paul says we can do this because we're gifted to do this. Verses 6 through 8, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And so, this isn't going to sound like a profound point, but it is very important that you understand it. There is no such thing as a no-talent bum in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a no-talent bum in the kingdom of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so Peter's saying, if you are a Christian, you have a gift to be used. And I know often we, we feel like, well, I don't feel like I have anything to, to contribute, or I don't feel like God has gifted me in any way, but I assure you, Scripture promises that you have a gift. It is there. God cannot overlook you in this giving of gifts because God is perfect. Now, maybe you haven't discovered what your gift is yet, and that's, that's possible and that's okay, but what I want to say is we have Uh, we have a shape assessment test that we can help you go through and it will help you discover some areas where God may have gifted you. A lot of the time, it's trial and error, though. 
It's saying yes to serving opportunities and just trying things, discovering where you're good at, what you enjoy, and maybe some areas where it's like, wow, I should never touch that again because I made a real mess of that. But it's trial and error. It's asking people, where do you see gifts in my life? Where do you think God has gifted me? It's listening to how God is confirming gifts in your life where, where people say, when you did this, it really ministered to me. It really touched me. I see what a difference you're making in this person's life. Now, Paul is saying, whatever your gift is, be satisfied with it and use it diligently. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, uh, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of of God. And so if you can teach, teach for God's glory. If you can sing, sing for God's glory. If you have the gift of administration or leadership, do it for God's glory. If you have the gift of hospitality, open up your home for the glory of God. Because not only do you serve the body and you serve people, but you'll find joy and satisfaction in it. Our gifts have been given to us to serve the body. Now, not every Christian is going to look the same. We all have different gifts. Um, you're not going to ever find me leading a women's sewing ministry. Um, you will never, or you probably won't ever find me supervising the nursery because I'm just not gifted in those areas. But I do recognize that I'm gifted in areas and passionate about things that not all of you are. And that's okay because we're a more complete body. We're able to do more things that way. A church, if it was made up solely of people like me, um, we would have a terrible children's ministry and not very good nursery. Granted, that church would be ridiculously handsome. Um, <laughs> who said that? But, but a church is gifted with different people for different reasons. We're all members of the same body, but we have different functions. There is unity in our diversity now, I'm going to try not to like, go on too much of a rant here, but this is a, a very important point. While every Christian is gifted, not every Christian is in the game. Um, some people have been ridiculously gifted by God. They're just dripping with talents. My friend Renz, um, who's up here playing the guitar, he's like a little alarmed here now that I'm mentioning him, but he's gifted musically. He's just really gifted. He's one of those guys, walks up to an instrument for the first time, picks it up. I've never played this before. An hour later, he's mastered the instrument. And I go, Renz, you are so gifted. He's like, oh, I'm not that gifted. And he's very humble. I'm like, shut up, Renz, you are. Um, <laughs> too gifted. I'm jealous. But, but what is frustrating is when somebody has been clearly gifted by God, they won't get off the bench and get in the game. It's like you're going to play a game of hockey and you find out Sidney Crosby is on your team. And the best hockey player in the world is on your team. And you're like, we're going to win this. There's no way we can lose. Sidney Crosby's on our team. And you get out on the ice. You're skating around. The game starts. And you find out you're not doing as well as you thought you could be or should be. And you look over and there's Sidney Crosby sitting on the bench just watching the game. And you plead with them, Sydney, get off the bench and get in the game. We need you to, to get out here and play your position, score some goals, because we've got guys out here who can barely skate. We've got guys out here who probably should be just playing a different sport. Get out here and, and do your job. If God has gifted you, he's gifted you for a reason. And when you refuse to serve, what it means is that somebody who's 
less gifted, somebody who should probably be doing something else or maybe uh, gifted to be doing something else, might be filling your role, or maybe nobody is filling that role at all. And so my, my hope is that you'll get off the bench if you are gifted and play your position. Now we have to ask the question, why serve? Why get up early on Sunday morning for practices? Uh, why, why clean up your house for a life group? Why spend time preparing a lesson for kids in Halifax Kids when you're just not sure how they're going to act that day? Why spend another evening out with people um, studying or serving at a, a, a kitchen? Um, why give of your time, your money, your resources? Why do we ask that each member here give an hour uh, to service each week in the name of Christ inside or outside of the church? Well, we serve because we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And imagine what could happen if every Christian was using the gifts that God had given them. Hurting people could find healing. The darkness that is prevalent in this city in many ways could be driven back. People who are walking through life addicted and enslaved to something, they might find freedom. People who are living every day in fear and uncertainty might find security and hope. Imagine that everybody in our community would understand that Jesus did not come in the world to condemn them to hell, but to declare that God has provided a way out through him. We serve because Christ served us. We serve because it makes an eternal difference in people's lives. And if you want to leave an impact on this world, if you want to leave a lasting difference, make your mark, serve as the body of Christ because there's no better way to do that. Your name might not become famous. Your role might not be as glorious as you had hoped it would be. But you are making an eternal difference because you are impacting lives and we're doing it for the name that truly matters. It's all about Jesus. And so if you need to talk about Jesus, your relationship with him, if you need to discover where you're gifted, if you want to try some areas out of serving, and we have plenty of opportunities inside and outside of this church to do that, I encourage you to please speak to me or one of our other leaders and we will help you do that.